the reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 5 to the end of the chapter. And that can be found on page 688 in the Pew Bibles, page 688. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to the chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alistair. Um, do keep your Bibles open there at page um, 688. Uh, eight. Let me say a word of prayer as we begin. God, our Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and we pray, Father, that you help us to understand it. Um, would you help us by your spirit, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. The application uh, for this morning's uh, reading and the application that comes from the reading, I think, is very clear. Stop trusting in humanity. It's right there in verse 22. 22. You see it. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but breath in their nostrils. Why, why hold them in esteem? Now, Isaiah isn't saying that humans aren't useless or or that they are somehow insignificant, or he's not saying that there's nothing good that comes from them. After all, we know there's uh, the good of um, modern medicine. Uh, We know uh, 
great sporting endeavour that people do. Or we see the contribution, don't we, from art and literature to creativity. Now, what Isaiah is saying here, he's saying that humans, if humans are as created beings, are, are of no value if they're the object of our ultimate trust, our ultimate esteem and praise. If we put our trust in ourselves or anyone else, any human institution, any human organization or philosophy or, or system that has humans at the very center of it, they, we are making a massive mistake. And, and God says right here, stop. He says, stop. Stop trusting in mere humanity. I was thinking about this as just how important this is for us right now as a, as a nation. We must, we must pray for our human leaders. But I think there's a great danger, it seems to me, that we are trusting in mere hum- humans to find solutions to our political problems. And I think Isaiah would step in and say, stop. Stop trusting in mere humans. Whether it's Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn or whether it's Parliament or whether it's the European Union. As important as these things and these people may well be, we need to instead trust in the ultimate object of trust, who is God himself. Last week, um, Richard began our series in Isaiah, looking mainly at chapter 1, which summarises the key uh, themes of the whole book. And he talked about how the book is really describes two cities. Um, first of all, there's a city of destruction, back in verse 21 and 25, and there's a city destined for restoration, which is found in verse 26 and Isaiah lays out the the plan if you like for these two cities chapter 2 verse verses 1 to 5 tell us about first of all the restored city in a sense what is going to happen in the the future so verse 2 says in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest mountain it will be exalted above the hills And all nations will stream to it. And he goes on to say that people will hunger for God's word. uh, And that they will be reconciled to each other. The nations, there will be no more war in verse 4. There's a great deal of positive uh, here in these first few verses of the chapter. And therefore there's a, a positive application for us. Because we know, don't we, hope is a powerful thing. If you know what God will um, do in the future, you can live in the light of that now, can't you? And that's exactly what Isaiah says in verse 5. He says, come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You see, God is going to create a new city, a new Jerusalem, an eternal city where people will stream Hungry for, for God and his word. So he's saying, why not 
live it in that now, in the light of that future now. Stream to him, listen to him, worship him. For that, for us, it might mean right now getting out the reading plan that um, Richard has put together daily. It may be mean going to small groups, Bible study. It may mean coming to the, the prayer meeting, which is tomorrow at 8 o'clock. It may mean that we need to commit to regular worship. Start now because the, this is the eternal plan. And so we need to live in the light of it. So verses 1 to 5, very positive um, plan, the restored city of God, and it's going to be great. But of course, in our reading, we're confronted with the sobering picture of the earthly city. It tells us of what's going to happen to Jerusalem as the spotlight moves from the future back to 740 BC and gives us, I suppose, a negative application an application which asks us or shows us what happens when we don't walk in the light of the Lord or when we don't trust in God. So two points, um, very straightforward. Firstly, the, the verdict is clear, and that's verses 6 to 9. And secondly, the sentence is certain, verses 10 to 21. So Isaiah describes, first of all, the, the verdict, and it's clear. Verse 6, you can see that. You, Lord, have abandoned your people. Verse 9, do not forgive them. God has abandoned the earthly city, and, and why? Well, in the, her arrogance, she has turned to mere humans. Verse 6, they're full of superstitions from the east. They practice divinations like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. In other words, they've placed, haven't they, their ultimate um, trust in anything but God, turned from the true and living God. And all he has given them as the people of God. Therefore, they're under the judgment of God. And they might um, be hearing this as Isaiah speaks, and they might cry out, um, well, surely that can't happen to us. We're the chosen people. But you see, we need to remember that outward appearance can be so deceptive, can't it? This city on the outside has all the material wealth, full of gold and silver, it says. There's no end to their treasures. We could might even say today, the stock market is up, the economy is growing, the bank account is full. And it's not only materially wealthy, it is also militarily powerful. You see that with a land full of horses and no ends of chariots. That's in the equivalent of our day of tanks, of, of um, aircraft carriers, uh, drones, whatever it is we use today. From outward appearance, all looks well. Peace and prosperity, money and security... And that's, in a sense, the essence of Uzziah's reign. You can read about his reign in 2 Chronicles 26, and, and you will find he reigned for a long time, 52 years. It's a picture of peace and prosperity. 
But it was on the surface. Everything looked rosy, but the reality was somewhat different. And, and what we need to do, we need to see with Isaiah's eyes. Isaiah wants us to, if you like, to put on spiritual sight, spiritual sight, so we can see the truth, see the reality of the situation. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded um, of a story about uh, Kate Ady. Do you remember Kate Ady? She was a, a, a broadcaster, and uh, she told a story on Parkinson. And you can go and look at it. World War. She was embedded on the, the very front line with the, the British soldiers. And she was with 2,000 men, and she was the only woman there. It was a very bleak desert. There was no definition at all, nothing to hide behind. And she suddenly realized, how am I, I going to go to the toilet in this place? <laughs> And so she decided the best thing to do in this very male environment was to wait till nighttime. Sound like a very logical thing to do. Uh, and go 200 yards out of camp and, and go. Um, she did this for three nights, and then the, the colonel of the, uh, who was in charge came up, a very apparently very nice man. And he said, could I have a word about... Um, and tell you about the, the properties of the British Army Standard Issue SS-80 assault rifle. And she was like, what, what, what do I need to know about this? And he, he went on, Kate, it's got very good night sight, and they're all using it. So don't bother waiting uh, for nightfall. And it reminded me so much, you know, we, we try to hide, don't we? We try to, to get away. But the truth is, we need spiritual night sight to see through the outward appearances, to see true reality and to true see uh, uh, who we are. In verse 7, if verse 7 gives us the outward appearance, verse 8 gives us very much the reality of uh, the reality of night sight. He says, There, there, land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. The earthly city doesn't trust in the living God anymore. And of course, when we think about our own land, that's no different, is it? Our land doesn't trust in the living God anymore, no matter how much we might say we are a, a supposedly Christian country. Isaiah wrote in a time as well of huge political and international upheaval. The dominant superpower was Assyria in the north. And in 745, Tilglath Pileser III, he had a lot to thank his mum for, um, uh, came to power. He was a very aggressive and ambitious leader. And he steadily pushed his way south, sweeping everything in, in his way. And you can imagine what the, the um, uh, Judea thought. Ah, but we've got these chariots, we've got these tanks, we've got these fighters, we've got money. We can just buy our way out of this situation. And Isaiah keeps beating this same message, and you'll see it through Isaiah. He says, stop. 
Stop. Don't misplace your trust. The Lord has abandoned your people. Turn from idols. Turn from rotten practices and live in the light of the Lord. Stop or else, or else judgment is inevitable. Israel, of course, uh, the northern kingdom was crushed in 720. And then Judea and Jerusalem in 586. God has announced his judgment and the verdict is clear, isn't it? As we think forward, as we think about the life, the death, the resurrection, and importantly, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus, we realise that he has established his kingdom, his new city, and with that, he has announced his verdict on all other centres of trust and security. Just as we say... um, most weeks, when we say the creed, it says in uh, the Apostles' Creed, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come to judge because he is exalted to the very highest place and he rules over his kingdom. Just as Paul says elsewhere in uh, Acts 17, he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn around and trust him. And he goes on, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That man is Jesus Christ. And so the verdict is clear, is clear. We would be crazy, wouldn't we, to trust in anything or anyone else. As we think about that, it's the start. So often we see this period as the start of a new academic um, year or an, uh, a new job or a new phase in our work. Um, there's new starts, new projects going on. And as we go out into the world, we will be surrounded by aggressive and ambitious powers that might make us think the only place of trust and security is in earthly things. You know, it might be a solid work job, a bank account, a top degree, a human relationship, a comfortable home and schools. And the pressure will be on us all not to abandon God altogether. And as I think about that, in some ways, I know it it actually goes much more subtler than that. The pressure on us is actually to compromise, is to do a bit of feet in both camps, to have some kind of mixed bag of securities, a sort of split, Vision, if you like, one eye on the city of God and, and one eye on the earthly city to somehow hedge our bets. But Isaiah is telling us, don't even bother mixing your bag of securities. If you do, the verdict is clear. But what about the, the sentence, the sentence which is certain, verses 
10 to 21. Chapter 2 is that graphic um, picture of destruction. But I want us to notice, importantly, that, uh, that, that Isaiah focuses its on the exaltation of God. Did you notice that? Verse 11 and 17, he repeats the phrase, the Lord alone, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And verse um, uh, 19 and 21 repeats the phrase, the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. There's a splendor and majesty. He wants us to see the exaltation of, of God. You see, when the Lord is exalted alone in the splendor of his majesty, all who've not trusted his exalted saviour, Jesus Christ, will actually turn in terror. That's the message. I don't say that that lightly, um, but without Christ, that is the reality, the ultimate reality. Verse 12 tells us that all will be humbled, all nations, all everything that seems safe, that seems significant, that seems secure. It will crumble away every power, every institution, every political leader that sets itself or himself or herself up as the ultimate source of security. I don't know um, what you're tempted to trust in. I know my own heart is tempted to trust in all sorts of things. Probably it's the thing that we daydream, that we daydream about the most when we have time just to sit and think. If only I could have X or Y or, or Z, I'd be safe, I'd be secure. It can be your career, it could be your qualifications, it, it could be um, uh, uh, all sorts of things. It could be your bank account, but it could be your medical insurance that you're trusting in. It could be your social media connections that you're trusting in, how you appear online. And of course, there are many of these things. They're good things. Many of them are good things. But when they become an ultimate thing, the thing that gives us hope and security, then they have become our idol. The thing you can't live without, the thing you really worship and trust in. For you see, the Lord alone is to be exalted. The Lord alone is exalted. And is exalted to that place And only he has the right to be worshipped. And of course, we can't hide. That's the the, uh, evidence in the passage, isn't it? We can't hide. Notice verse 19. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to the holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord. I wonder if you've ever been in a place of terror where you felt terrified. What do you do when you feel terrified. We, we often hide, don't we? So, as adults, we often use very sophisticated ways to try and hide. Um, but children, I think, often show us more intuitively, don't they? They hide behind the sofa. They hide behind the curtain. They hide under the duvet. But of course, you know exactly where they are, don't you? You can see um, their feet sticking out from the curtain. You can see that their hair poking out from behind the sofa. You can see the lump in, under the duvet, can't you? You know exactly where they are. And so it is with the Lord. You can't hide from him. He knows exactly where you are. 
In a way, he has the ultimate night sight, going back to that illustration, the ultimate night sight from whom no secrets are hid. The prophecy was fulfilled in part as the earthly city was destroyed by the invading forces. But this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead and is exalted to the right hand of God on high. Where is Jesus today? Sometimes we need to ask that question. Where is Jesus today? Is he just in some sort of holding room? No. Jesus is ruling. He's ruling over his kingdom. He's exalted in power. Over every name, over every nation. And he will once more shake the heavens and the earth. And therefore don't trust. Don't trust in worthless things. Don't trust in the earthly city. Don't go for a kind of mixed bag of misplaced trust. You know, a bit of this and a bit of that. Trust God alone. That is the message, isn't it, of verse 22. It sums it up beautifully. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Why hold them in esteem? Maybe... Maybe that's a question for you um, this morning. Do you hold them in esteem? Do you trust human ability, human ingenuity, human endeavour as your ultimate security? God says, stop. Stop it. Look instead to God alone in the splendour of his majesty. Look to his son, the exalted one on high, who rules Jesus Christ. God our Father, we confess that we don't trust you. Often we, we fail and we trust other things. Please help us this morning to trust in you and in your exalted son alone that we may know the truth of that and the security, the ultimate security that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. For we ask in his name. Amen.